find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. This is your host, Nikki Lee, and today, Hugh Ballou is with me. How are you today, Hugh? I am great, Nikki. Thank you. I tell you, I am so happy to, to have you here with me today, and and uh, I, we, we were cutting it kind of close, but Hugh just got off the plane and just got home, and he's here. I am here, and I am glad to be here, and I'm glad to be talking to you and all your listeners. We are going to talk about some interesting stuff today. Hugh has got a new book called Transforming Power, and we're going to find out all about what that means, and, and we're going to find out more about Hugh's background and, and the things he can do to help people. Are you ready? I'm excited. <laughs> I want to. I want to hear about all this. <laughs> Let me tell you what I've been doing while you were out of town. Yeah. Okay. I think first of all, the book is called Transforming Power. Tell us what Transforming Power is. It is a collection of stories from leaders that I decided were transformational leaders. They uh, there's there's a particular uh, definition of transformational leader, uh, but basically. A transformational leader is one that inspires transformation in an organization, in people that belong to an organization, and ultimately in themselves. So I, I looked for people who I knew were were this type of leader. It's different from being a charismatic or autocratic leader. It's it's a leader that uh, empowers leadership development on teams and also lets the uh, organization they lead uh, transform. Uh, on the the value of its own merit and the vision of the leader. So the stories in the book are designed uh, to encourage and inspire leaders everywhere, no matter where they're leading. Okay. Are there any specific sort of leaders that you think would benefit more, or is it pretty much across the board any person in a leadership position could benefit? Well, Nikki, I work with leaders around the globe. As you know, I just got back from uh, part of the month in Austria working with uh, a different kind of uh, program than most of my others, but I, I think you change the geography, you change the name of the organization, you change their mission, and the issues are still the same. It's, it boils down to leadership, and uh, if you want to have effective teams and effective strategies, you need to have effective leadership. So I think the lessons are are generic. They're transparent from one organization to another. So even though uh, some of the stories are written by a pastor that's transforming a church, which, by the way, I think is the most difficult place to lead, even though that story may be about that particular situation, there is a lesson and an encouragement from a leader uh, in the trenches by reading the story. When I was uh, 18, I decided I saw somebody direct a choir, and I said, you know what, I could do that. So I started a 40-year career of conducting, and, and I had never directed a choir, but, you know, I saw somebody do it, and it inspired me. So the, the, the lesson here is if you see somebody do it, if you read about it, there's a word of encouragement that, yeah, we could all do that. So that's my, that's my vision for this book and why, why I started this project. Well, you know, as I was reading through the book, I was bringing you know, 20-some years of business management experience into it, and there were so many things I went through and highlighted, and they're very basic, even business principles, you know, management, leadership, business, any sort of those things. So there were so many beneficial, and like you said, no matter what the setting, the, the, the merits of the story, the gist of the story, and the, the moral of the story were so similar, you know, so it, it, it really doesn't matter uh, it's just like I tell people about promotion. If you can learn to promote, then you can promote anything, you know. That's right. With enough That's creativity. Right. <laughs> well, if you believe in it. Very true. 
So yes. you mentioned 40 years as a choir director. What, what does that background help you bring to this project and to this topic? Well, that is leadership condensed and, and focused. Um, you step up on a podium and you've got an orchestra in front of you, you better know what you want to accomplish. You better have your plan together. You better lead. So I, I think there are, that the skill set is transferable. So I teach leaders based on my, what I learned and the skill set I developed uh, in 40 years of conducting. If you step on the podium, you've got a two-hour slot with some union musicians who are real cocky, and you've got to make sure that you get something done and that they know that you know what you want to accomplish. On the other hand, you hire a really good oboe player to play the oboe in this orchestra, you don't tell them how to play the oboe. You tell them what you want. You don't micromanage. So there's, there's different lessons uh, in the skill set. Um, and the basic one is if you're going to lead a, uh, that's a meeting, two-hour rehearsal is like a two-hour meeting. You spend, you spend twice as much time, minimum, planning it if you really want to get results. So I, I guess people have um, probably attended a poorly conducted meeting in their lives. And uh, the results are directly proportional to the amount of planning that goes into your leadership, especially meetings. So I, um, I wrote a, an article, which is published this month in Performance Magazine. And um, it's, it's, Performance Magazine goes to about 500,000 leaders, anybody with a C in their name, CEO, CFO, et cetera. And um, I, it's about team performance. And the title of the article is Orchestrating Success with Your Team. And so it's like conducting a symphony orchestra. You have all the different personalities and all the different players, and you've got to pull them together as a leader. So I think there's a lot of lessons to learn in the trenches with the, the orchestra. So I've enjoyed applying that skill set to, or, to us, or, orchestrating it with CEOs, and you know what? It works. That's good. You know what's funny is, is I was I was in this way back years ago I was in the school band and I never saw our band director in the light that I do now after reading your book I'm like you know she maybe was doing more up there than I thought she was <laughs> you know? so, exactly yeah I, I'm sure she would agree with that too that's right so how did you get the idea to write this book well I started uh, the, the 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 quintessential example of transformational leader is. Uh, a choir director for a choir. You, you have these uh, singers that come together where you transform all these individual voices into a choir. And then you, you begin to teach the music and to put it together, you transform the choir into an ensemble. That's a very different feeling where they breathe together, they feel the phrases together. So that is a very visible sign of a transformation. Well, you bring people together in corporate America and you put them on a, on a committee, or you put them in a department, or you put them in a division, they have to learn how to breathe together, how to understand each other's mission, and how to work together toward a common goal. So sure. I learned about that transformation early in life, and I wanted to spread that message uh, further. So I started writing, and the more I wrote, the more I realized I knew about organizational structure. Uh, people think that musicians are just right brain. But you know what? You've got to have a very analytical brain, a uh, very mathematical brain, a very structured brain to be able to work in a musical structure which is very exacting and very un unforgiving, really. So sure. to combine the creative 
and the structural and being able to plan is is a a very good skill set and it does apply so i wanted to there's a baseline learning piece in all of this so i thought well i'll write about it and i'm not a writer but i have something to say so i began putting it on paper and it helped help clarify and i think it's a good to have those things in writing is a good basic uh, guide for people that's pretty universal you know, it's it's amazing how clarifying writing can be. Even even when it's just a rough draft, it just helps helps you to see things more clearly and understand it better. And then to be able to take that and fine tune it, you know, I, I say fine tune all the time, but it has a whole different meaning when I talk to you. Um, but to be able to, to hone that and and to present it to people in such a way to help them see things in a different light or more thoroughly, it's just it's a wonderful writing is just such an awesome thing. Oh, it, it is, and 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 transforming power is my fifth book. The, it jumped over the fourth one, which is still being finished. But I, I started with my first book in, like, 2002, and I outlined it. And I began, oh, wow, I think I know more about this than, than I do. And I put it away, and it kind of worked inside of me. And then in 2004, I pulled it out about uh, April, and in 30 days I put it all down. And I started with the chapter, Getting Things Done. And that I said, well, I've written this. Now i got to really model what I've said and actually knew what to do, and it helped me fine-tune my my skill set in getting things done, and and when I worked in the in the church arena, and I would hire an orchestra, and you're paying them practically by the minute, but you've 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 paid for two hour rehearsal, and every minute over that you, you go to an accelerated overtime rate, so you hey. must be done on time. So you begin backwards. You say, what do I want to accomplish, and you plan backwards, and so you have to know how to plan that rehearsal to get everything accomplished, and it's a very exacting skill set. So I. I began this getting things done chapter, and I put it into life, and I put it into balance of how do you get personal life balanced with business life, and how do you make sure everything that you're handling in your business gets done without working harder but working smarter. So right. I sort of I work to inspire myself by saying, yeah, this is how you do it. And then when I wrote the rest of the book, I had a schedule, and I got it done in 30 days, like I said. Cool. Well, you know, any anybody in a in a business kind of situation needs to set the goals and figure out how to get there. And the thing is, if you don't know where you're trying to go, it's hard to plot the trip. You know, it's hard to figure out how you're going to get from point A to point B if you don't know where point B is. So you need to know where you're heading and where you're going. I think writing is the same way, but people disagree with me on that one. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. <clears throat> I, I, like to, I like to have a plan but leave it flexible if I need to, but I like to at least see in front of me what I plan to do with the book, you know. Well, and, and you know, the, I, my, my, my vision for goal setting goes back to Napoleon Hill, who interviewed Andrew Carnegie and was introduced to all the great leaders in the world. And then he wrote these great laws of attraction, and he wrote uh, 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 Think and Grow Rich, which is really not about money. It's about setting goals and accomplishing, uh, accomplishing those goals. And, and the people that set goals are successful. Right, and and you're you're programming your subconscious and you're programming yourself for success. So I I think goals are essential for business leaders, church leaders, non-profit community leaders, whatever. It's I think it's so important. So I'm glad you like goals. Oh yeah, well and, and have you ever been around people and they just they feel like they're just kind of floating through life? They're not really heading toward anything, you know, and, oh, yeah. and all this time passes, and you're like, so what have you been doing? And they're like, nothing, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, but when when you have goals and you have things that you're trying to accomplish, it, it's such a different lifestyle, and it's so fulfilling, I think, because especially as you're reaching the goals or getting closer to the goals, you know, you see that you're making headway and you're accomplishing something. I like that. 
Well, my books are not really original like um, most of us have have learned from others, and I try to give credit where I've learned things. But uh, mm-hmm. it's a compilation of what I've learned through many years working with some really important people. And I remember talking about a particular business issue with a business attorney, and he looked over his glasses, leaned forward, and said, God's only given you so many days on earth. Why do you waste one? Let's take care of this and move on. And I think that's true of goals. If you don't know where you're going, you're just going to lose a lot of valuable time. Yeah. Well, and once the day is gone, you're not going to get it back. So. Yeah. So tell me how you chose the people that are included in the book. Was there a, a grand plan for, for who you picked to include? I, I chose uh, uh, 22 people, and um, they're people that I knew personally, and I knew uh, set a pretty high bar. And I knew there were people that could write or had a story to tell. And uh, two people just couldn't couldn't get to it. They wanted to do it, but they couldn't. I really had nobody turn me down. And what? nobody asked what's in it for me. <laughs> I just said, I, I want to inspire leaders, and there's not a book out there with leadership stories like this. Would you participate? And they said, sure. So that was one of the, one of the pieces. If somebody was enthusiastic, um, I use that guideline when I teach people how to, how to recruit teams. If somebody's not enthusiastic about doing them, just thank them and get somebody else to work with them. <laughs> so they were enthusiastic, and um, I had 19 that actually followed through uh, with, with manuscripts and editing and go through that whole process. I knew a number of the people, and they, they were different places in life. People represented different cultures and different races and different, different places in life, different ages. And um, but some of them I, were referrals from some of my top leaders. I said, who else do you know that, that would have a story like this? And right. so some were referred by other people. And because of that referral, I got immediate acceptance. So I wanted people that had credibility that had actually done something important. And I think in this book, there's a, there, the authors have about uh, 200 or so books currently on the street in, in print. So they, oh. I knew that they wrote books uh, and had them published. So that was another, another piece, that they, they really had some credibility as, as an author. You know, it was funny when when um, I first heard about you. I went to your website, which is www.shoebaloo.com, and blue is B A L L O U. And I looked at the page that has all the people that participated, and, and just looking at their pictures, not even reading about their background, but just looking at the pictures, it looked like you had picked a great variety of different people, and uh, which is nice. It's nice to bring all those different backgrounds and and, and thoughts and experiences because every one of us experiences things differently. I love when I when I do I do public speaking, motivational and, and training, and, and with groups, and uh, I love quoting the composer conductor Ralph Vaughan Williams. He's he's supposed to have said that music did not reveal all of its secrets to just one person, and you can change music to business or leadership or or other things. And I believe you learn a lot of things from a lot of people. So that was the other goal: is to have a variety of lessons for people to learn from in this book. True. I, I did something sort of similar in one of my books where, I mean, I, I wrote the majority of the book, but I went through and I wanted other people to share their experiences in different topics. Because I figured no matter how much experience I brought to the book, everybody has their own experience, their own take on it, and their own perspective. And sharing that, I think, just greatly deepens the value of the book. So it's, it's great to include other people's experiences. And, you know, you might get to contribute to one of my next books. I love it. Now love that it. I know how to find you. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Actually, we live in the same state. 
I was going to say, you're actually not that far away from me. <laughs> I'm used to dealing with people. Everybody seems to be on the West Coast that I deal with, but, but you're actually, like, close to where I am. I think we're just on opposite ends of the same valley, actually. I was in the West Coast a few minutes ago. <laughs> I know, literally. You, yeah, right. <laughs> oh. You know, I had somebody tell me that they feel that authors have a responsibility to their le- to their readers. Do you agree with that? And if so, what kind of responsibility do you have to your readers? Well, that was the motivation when I was talking about writing the chapter, Getting Things Done, mm-hmm. in, the, in the first book. I, I, I had a discipline, but... The fact that I wrote it down and was going to publish it said, "Well, you know what? I, I got to be sure I do this. You know, I'm not going to write about something that that uh, that doesn't have integrity uh, that I don't do myself that doesn't work myself." Okay. And I went back and tweaked a little bit of it. I said, "Well, you know, maybe I can add something to this or change this because I forgot some part of this." So I, I think it's important to. I want to provide people with practical, usable items. Every every one of my my books has something you can take away and do right away. Right. It, you, can, you can read something and you can act on it right away. It's not an academic exercise. It's a practical exercise. And I said in, in the preface of uh, Moving Spirits, Building Lives that um, I didn't come at this as the ultimate authority. I came at it as somebody who had experienced all these things in life and had made all the mistakes so I could tell the story. So it's it. from my, I wanted to write from real experience. And so my obligation to my leaders is to have integrity about the experience and to tell it like it is. And to give them my My vision for my business is to make a difference in people's lives. And the mission part of it is to give people useful tools that they can implement easily. And I try to do that in the writing. That's my obligation to my readers. Very good. So... He was. I was reading the book. I noticed that a lot of the examples are drawn from experiences within either a church or religious setting and that sort of thing. Um, how can people who are considering reading the book or getting the book, how can they equate those experiences to, say, a business situation or another organization? I think you even mentioned like nonprofit organizations. Yeah, and in, in my experience in. Um in work, I worked in a church of 12,000 members, and I had a lot of business leaders on my committees. And um, um, I found that, that they were intrigued by some of my leadership pieces, running meetings and, and building teams and managing priorities. So I discovered that they had the same issues in the business world that we had in the church community. I mean, a 12,000-member church is a, is a small business. It's a pretty good business. Yeah. You, you um, said it the first time, and I'm like, I don't think my town is a little bit bigger than that. Yeah, it was it was it was a big place, and I didn't know everybody on the rolls intimately, but uh, I, I had a lot of people, and I learned I learned a lot of the principles there. I, I failed a lot, I succeeded a lot, I took it the next step forward. So, uh, and I and I would go from facilitating a, a group that was a an artistic group or a religious group to a business group, and a, and a community group, and there was virtually no difference. It's people coming together using their best thinking skills and making their best decisions. And I think that's the common element. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I particularly wanted people of faith, of Christian faith, to write from their experience. I thought it was a a divine inspiration for transformation. The leadership piece is universal, and people can learn learn from that. So David Stanley, uh, uh, Elvis Presley's stepbrother and bodyguard, has made a movie and uh, went through that process of transforming his dream, which was on a napkin, and he had no money, into a full feature-length movie. 
uh, B.J. Dorman went to prison. His his best friend caught him on technicality and put him in the slammer for financial a uh, little financial piece in the law. And he's come out of it and built this big uh, entrepreneurial forum that has high integrity and insists that people uh, are in legal compliance every, every bit of the way. So he took an unfortunate experience and moved it forward and made a, a great big envelope for people to learn about business. Um, so so there are stories that, that uh, relate to the business world or the other part of the world that is not necessarily from the church. So there's a combination of experiences in there. But they're all about leadership. Well, and, and I like how it was set up where you read about the person and what they've done in their life, and then you read the experience that they wanted to share. So you've got a, an overall picture of the person and the things that they've done. Well, thank so you. If you I thought that was sit, important. I thought it was important that readers know who that person was and what they were about. Very true. Very true. Um, so, who do you feel is the perfect person to read Transforming Power? I believe that that each of us um, has has a leadership quality in us, and people, some people aren't aren't comfortable speaking in front of large groups, and that doesn't matter. Every person you come in contact with, you influence positively. You influence negatively or you don't influence at all you get to choose and so I, I encourage people to influence others in a positive manner to leave an impression on their lives you can you can inspire somebody just by who you are um, John Maxwell has the book out 360 degree leader and his premise which I very much agree with is that no matter where you are in an organization you influence people above you, beside you, below you, in the organizational chart. Um, once in a, in a staff planning retreat, um, I brought goals, and I was the only one that brought goals. And I talked about the goals and shared them, passed them out, made myself very vulnerable because they were very specific, very timed, and had the steps in them. Um, when I came back three months later to the next planning retreat, my goals had been accomplished and partially because I had shared them with people who had contacts that could help me. So by being vulnerable, I also brought in this energy field with people that knew people, and they could, they could be helped. I didn't ask for any help. I just shared the goals. But what I found out was that to the next retreat, everybody else brought goals to share. So I wasn't the top person. I wasn't leading the retreat. I didn't have a leadership position in that, that process, although I was a leader in that organization. I was able to impact people all around me True. because I had I had done a strategy that worked and I had set the bar a little higher. Right. So I think anybody that's working anywhere with people um, can can rise to the next level in effectiveness. And we all have days that don't go as well as we would like. <laughs> you, you know. So I wanted I wanted somebody to have a story and read about somebody else. Say, you know what? I could do that. I could do that. I, I love the story by uh, Will, William Willimon, who's uh, a writer. I think he has about 50 books on the street and lots of essays, and he's a lecturer, and he's a bishop in the Methodist Church in North Alabama. Um, and he's uh, trying to change the system, which is an age-old system and needs some updating. And he's changing the system, and he feels a call to do that. And it's not going pretty smooth. <laughs> you know, some days everybody wants to do things like they used to. Um, especially in a church setting. So he wrote a story, What If I'm Wrong? And that's a really good place. To, that's very vulnerable. It's very brave to say, I've got a real good, strong vision, but what if I'm wrong? And we all think that. 
we try and we want to give up sometimes. So I appreciate him putting himself out on the limb and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell like it is. So I think well, anybody that's leading anything or wants to lead anything, no matter what they're doing, could find some inspiration in these stories to help them. You know, I, I noticed that there there was each story was so well put together, but it, it you also saw their vulnerability, their their doubts in certain things. You know, am I right to do this? Is this the way we should have done it? Kind of thing. You know, and I think I think you know making mistakes is human, but the great part is when we can learn from our mistakes, and when in our writing we can learn from other people's mistakes as they're sharing their story and what they did and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We have actually got two questions in the chat room, and one of them. Let me kind of give you the gist of what. Well, let me let me read it to you and see if if you think this is saying the same thing I do. Okay. Um, did you? How did you go about? It? I know when when I have other people contribute to my books, I have them all sign a release for me that I have permission to use their name and their information. Did you do a similar sort of thing in your book? When um, when they mentioned somebody's name, mm-hmm. we had to get permission to use that name. Right. And so okay. the yeah yeah we had to get permission. Part part of the question is is talking about you know can somebody come back on your copyrights and and that sort of thing and is it against a person's freedom to do that? But you have to be very careful when you're you're quoting other people or talking about them that um, that you do give um, that you you make sure you have their permission to do that sort of thing. And I usually get it in writing or in an email, and then we keep those on file for me and for my publisher, so that if there ever is a squabble or dispute, we have proof that that I did have permission. And that's why we have the disclaimer in the the beginning of fiction novels that you know. And any similarity to anyone living or dead is, is you know, purely coincidental because you, you can't open yourself up to problems if, if you don't cover your bases with that sort of thing. Absolutely. And my publisher insisted that they have the originals, the signed originals of those permission right. sheets. So I couldn't even photocopy them. They wanted the originals. So that's important to to make sure that you have that procedure covered because we, we, when we speak to each other, we, we hear through our own filters. So when you write it down, it's very clear. True, true. Well, that way you've got their words, and you know that there's no doubt what they meant to say and that sort of thing. Because, I mean, even even when I, I read my information, I tend to ad lib it and change things as you go, and, and you don't want to risk doing that with somebody else's words. You want to get what they said. Absolutely. Let me let me read the rest of this to you. <clears throat> um, so some people have real callings in life. I feel my own is so huge. It's like a boulder on the road in front of me. How do you deal with it all? How do I deal with it they, all? Sounds like they know what your day was like today. You. <laughs> Well, let me, <laughs> yeah, my goal today was to get home. I know, just to get home on time. Oh, my word. I felt and he like, made it with uh, three minutes to spare, too. We're so proud. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I missed two connections, so it's, it's a miracle I'm here, but I, I wanted to be here. Um, I keep waiting for you to just stop and breathe a couple times. <laughs> I'm sitting looking out, I live in the woods, looking out at the woods, so I'm nice and calm now. I know. I think, the calmest I, you've been in days. Yeah. I, um, I I think addressing that question, I can give a little tip to uh, to readers, too, that I, part of what I use, the strategy with my, my business uh, strategy and my coaching clients, is um, it's important, and we talked about goals earlier, and it's important to set goals, and it's important to set goals that stretch you goals that are realistic that you know you can accomplish, but not slam dunk that are going to bore you. You want goals that are going to stretch your ability and stretch your organization and help your organization to grow. And the most important thing, back to Napoleon Hill, the most important thing about your goal is not that you've reached that quantifiable, specific, articulated number at the end, if it's a number or a result, um, but what's happened to you and your organization in doing the goal. So it's important 
that you've established a goal that's worthy, that's resonant with your core values and your business values. It's going to build out your business and, and enhance it. So the important thing is what happens to you and your group and your, the transformation of your organization in the process of the goal. So we write goals, and we look at them and we go, wow, that's big, <laughs> and we put it in the drawer. <laughs> and then, you know, a month later we pull it out and say, wow, that's big, and put it in the drawer. So that's of no use at all. It, uh, you read it every day, and then you put, you put benchmarks. 30 days, I'm going to do this, 30, next 30 days. Your short-term goal should be less than a year, and you should have 30-day benchmarks articulated, which, you know, will, will vary. With Some of them will go faster, some will go slower. But here's the secret. Here's the tip. Um, Learn this from Mark LeBlanc, who's the president of the National Speakers Association this year. Um, he encourages leaders to break down your goals into daily, three little daily steps. They're like baby steps, I call them. He calls them high-value uh, activities. I call them high-value achievements because I teach people to go for results. So if you articulated three little things, they could take you five minutes, they could take you an hour, they could take longer. But if you took your goal and you defined three high-value results you wanted to see every single day, now five days a week, that's 15. That's 30 and a half in two weeks, that's 60 in a month. You think 60 important little steps wouldn't make a difference in your life in moving toward that goal? It's, it's, so it's breaking it into things you can do that are valuable, re- result-oriented, valuable steps. We, we think about activity and we get focused on, well, let's do this because it's easy. No, let's right. do what's important first. And if it's small and you break it into several pieces, then you're going to be successful. So I would say to that, to that listener, um, take your big goal, articulate it, take your, your benchmarks, articulate those, and then plan tomorrow's high-value achievements today. When you finish today, say tomorrow, I'm going to, these three things are very important. I'm going to make sure I get those done. And don't make them too big. Make them baby steps, and, and you will be successful a step at a time. That's right. A lot of a lot of people look at a project and or they're going is it's just so big. And it would be fantastic to reach it. The thing is, if is if you're only looking at the finished product, you can become overwhelmed and discouraged and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. but you know, and, and I love the benchmark idea. You know, say, you know, how what do I need to accomplish by the end of this month? You know, and and work toward those things. Kind of like you know, I mean, I I had the goal as a kid to be a best-selling published author. Well, that's all fine and good, but. There's a whole lot of steps that go into making that happen, and it takes time. <laughs> you know, it does. But, well, and but every, person in, every person in Transforming Power was able to accomplish their goal because they, they framed it in a way that they understood and they could move it forward. That's it. Well, and have, have you noticed that sometimes the initial goal evolves and changes over time? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you learn as you go. If you're not growing then that goal isn't, isn't as valuable as, as it needs to be. So you will grow. And you'll find out that you've you got to set a very specific target to hit it. Like you said a while ago, you're, you're going to get there unless you set the specific target. But then the time, pop, time piece of it is not an exact science, but give yourself enough time. And don't be sad if you reach it too soon. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. There's, well, two things, there's, there's two things in my, in my estimation that make goals really work. The first one is breaking them into those little steps. Uh, you, you, you have to write it, and you make it very specific, but you break it into those baby steps. The second one, smart, specific, measurable, I use accountable for A, other 
trainers use something else, realistic and timed. A, share is accountable. Share the goal with at least three people that will help you feel accountable. So the accountability and the baby steps make it work. Okay. So so if the goal seems to change a bit as, the, as you're getting closer to it, that's not a problem, right? That's not a problem. You, you've identified the, the core value of what you want to achieve. And that's as you grow in your business, your organization grows, that will that will grow with it. So be open to that. Well, especially I think the more people you have involved and the different personalities that come into it and, and the deeper you get into something. Because, you know, like, like when you have a goal for something that you're not real familiar with, you have one thing in mind, but then as you get deeper into it, you, you find different things. And, and it's just it's interesting. I mean, and books are the same way. When you're writing a book, I, I know beginning to end what's going to happen. But as you get into it, it just kind of meanders in different little directions and other things happen. And it's wonderful when it's finished, but, you know, things things do change over time, which is that's, that's half the fun of the project, I think. Absolutely. But having said that, it's 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 good to be open as as. You learn yeah. things, and, and you want to, but, but to be specific, Thomas Edison knew he could invent the light bulb, and it took him 10,000 times. And he said, I didn't fail. I found 9,999 things that don't work. <laughs> I love that. But people laughed at him, but he knew he could do it. So yeah. in, in some instances, your vision is so strong, and people try to pull you away from it. Writing it down and being committed to it and reading it every day makes you not only believe you can do it, but makes you know you can do it. So there's 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 that side of it too, but being open and he learned along the way with his methodology. So he had to change a lot of pieces of that, but he knew ultimately he wanted that light bulb to burn, and he did. I tell and and we all use them every day now. So. Yeah. Um. So in one of the sections, well, you you actually wrote one of the sections of the book. Um, I did. I was reading through and I was hey, there's your story. So do you want to um, tell our listeners about your story and why you included that in the book? Um, the com- one of the common problems I run across is uh, the autocratic leadership style says we want to change the organization, and they dictate what the change is going to be and what it's going to look like, and then they dictate to their teams how it's going to happen. Well, and then they complain to me my teams aren't effective. Well, it's because you told them everything to do. It's like hiring the oboe player and telling them how to play the oboe. Right. Um, I think fundamental transformation in organizations happens from the bottom up. The leader gets the vision, but the leader in, uh, begins with the grassroots and builds a, an understanding of what, what's valuable about that vision and builds the grassroots movement so it actually goes from the bottom up. And that in my – it takes longer, but it's, it's, it's better, it's more solid, and it's lasting when it comes as part of a change of a culture. So – um, I came on a church staff in 1979, and my three children were the only children in this church, which had 2,300 members. When I got called to the staff, it was went below 1,000, and half of those weren't showing up, or 60% of them weren't showing up. So it was a huge facility with very few people. So I started a children's music ministry, which overlapped with the, the education ministry, and basically built momentum. Um, with that ministry, which impacted the whole, the whole culture, the whole organization. So when I left there 20 years later, it was the smallest demographic children when I started. When I left, zero to six years old was the largest demographic in the church. So basically I used that, and, and there was meaning for doing it, there was reason for doing it, but the transformation happened that 
that the adults and the youth and everybody wanted to hop on board because it was cool, but it was meaningful. So right. I, I, I impacted the whole culture from the bottom up, which is the children, and it, it was infectious. So my story to leaders is, is you don't want to push it from the top down. You want to articulate your vision. You want to be the leader. You want to empower strong leaders around you. But you want to enable the people in the culture to understand the why and to be part of it and to build a strong transformation that's going to be there after you're gone. True. So well, that, that, was, that was why I wanted that story there. The more involved other people are, the I mean, the more they get behind the idea and want to help with the idea and that sort of thing. And it just it's it's awesome to watch that sort of thing. When when you ask, you don't just walk in and say, "This is what's going to happen," and I say so, because that that's not effective. <laughs> you know, it it may make the change, but it's it's not effective and it's not not going to help the the overall group. No. But no, it's destructive. It is. Well, and, and you're not showing any real confidence in the people in the organization. You know, give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, I want to know what you have to share. Because it's, it's amazing the things that come from people when we ask what they want to do to share. It is. It is. So tell me what's your favorite story in the book and why it's your favorite. You know, I don't have a favorite. I have I have a relationship now with everybody in the book. Um, Tom Troger writes poetry. He writes hymn text. He's a, he's a flute player. He's sort of like the Garrison Keeler among preachers. He tells these stories that just have amazing impact. He included one of his poems in the, in the book. Um, it just it inspires me in a very different way. That Willowman is willing to be vulnerable. Um, John Savage uh, talks about the, the different decades in a person's life, which were transformational. Roland Rinks in South Africa, he talks about how over the years he, he was able to participate in impacting the change in the culture. Uh, you know, I, I look at him. It's like people say, "What's your favorite color or your favorite piece of music?" Well. You know, I like them. I like them all, and so I've included all of them as my favorite story. So it's my favorite book. How's that? Ah, there you go. Okay, that works. Well, see, at least you didn't give me the the pat answer there because well, it's like picking your favorite child. It's, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You you get into deep trouble. But I That's, I think every right. single story is included because it has great merit. Right. That's as it should be too. Yeah. So this this isn't your first book. Tell us a little bit about your other books. Um, Moving Spirits, Building Lives, a church musician is transformational leader. I tell the story in there of what I told earlier in this hour about a group of singers come together and they've transformed it to a choir. And you go to ensemble and in the church setting you continue to transform people's lives and their, their faith journey. But I, I realized that, that um, in that 12,000-member church, in a 3,500-member church, in any size church, I was responsible for a whole lot of structure and organization. So I took that and I wrote it down in, in systematic form, how to, how to motivate groups of people, how to build teams, how to run meetings. I knew all this stuff, so I thought, well, when people see me do it, they like it. So I thought I'd write down how to do it. And uh, so I put it in a very systematic, short... I write for people like me. It's short chapters, it's to the point. There's a little quote and there's a little challenge at the end. So I kind of write for myself. And so some people like that. So I, I found that people like the ideas, but they needed some traction. So I did a workbook for transformational leaders, also called Moving Spirits, Building Lives, a workbook for transformational leaders. So there are templates in there of working through what is my – people develop visions and missions and goals for organizations, but they never stop to think about their personal lives. What do I want to be? What, what is my personal vision? What, what is my mission in life? And what, what are goals that are important to me personally? 
So I, I feel like transformation begins with yourself, and you begin to identify your skill set, your goals, and 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 what you want to impact, you want to leave in this world. So the workbook is the how-to. There's a there's a flow chart. How do you control your time? How do you track your time? There's a publicity worksheet. People want to do publicity for events, um, especially musicians get so involved in producing events, and it happens with uh, play directors and community project leaders. You get so involved in doing the event, you forget about the publicity. So that publicity piece, I think, is valuable to people in a lot of different walks of life. Um, so I went from there to uh, teaching about teamwork. So I wrote a book on uh, building high-performance teams, systems and structures for leading teams and transforming organizations. I believe you do it through through groups. And you, as an effective leader, you work with most of your people in groups, um, and then you're a few people individually. But you learn to work with groups in an effective manner. And if you've ever been a part of a dull, boring, team-killing, unproductive meeting, that's a good <laughs> book to have. <laughs> and it's uh, both the workbooks come with permission to copy all the forms. So I, I hate to buy a book and then you have to get permission to use something out of it. So I just give yeah. people permission to use all the forms. Copy them, use them with your team. Buy one book and use them. The, the fourth book is, like I said, is, is, is being tweaked right now. It's the, uh, uh, transfer, the Transformational Leader. It's a basic primer so it's it's more generic and it's expanded with more techniques and strategies that I find day to day when I work with leaders in their challenge, and it will have a workbook with it, which will be number six. And the fifth book is Transforming Power, and I have a collection of articles and and, and MP3s on on the different subjects that empower leaders. So I, I believe in sharing what I know and uh, just kind of getting it out there so people can use it. Right, because it's all information that people in any kind of leadership position or who want to be in a leadership position need to learn, and they need to learn how to, to apply these sort of things. I paid the price and made the mistakes and learned <laughs> from it. So people might as well learn from me, and you know, I, you know, they can buy my stuff and learn what I learned and maybe save some time. <laughs> and, and maybe save some of those mistakes. Yeah. I, I said that in the intro of one of my books. I said, okay, look, I've made all the mistakes. Now I'm going to tell you what to do and how not to do it. <laughs> you know? Save you a little bit of time along the way. Well, hopefully I didn't it's, have it's, book when I got it started. Yeah, yeah, and, and I didn't either. I, I had to learn a lot of stuff, my own stupidity or whatever. But hopefully it's, an, it's, an, it's written and, and presented in an experiential context so people can build their own skill set as they're reading and learning the strategies. Right, right. Um, you mentioned that you have a free report on your website, and you have articles and that sort of thing. What what um, what sort of things do you offer, and who should go take a look? Well, they can look around. I have I have uh, on um, hughbaloo.com, I believe I have a, a little quick Hughes 10 tips for power-packed meetings. Um, I find that everywhere people struggle with effective meetings. So it's like... The choir, the choir orchestra director's perspective on how do you plan a really good rehearsal? How do you plan a meeting that people are going to go out there still humming the tune <laughs> and want to come back the next time and sing again? So uh, people hate meetings. You want to turn that around and have people love meetings because they're productive and empowering. So um, there's, there's a huge 10 tips to, to effective meetings. And then I, I have um, on uh, the center vision, there's a click on there for facilitation, a tab, which takes you to my my Center Vision business site, which has some other, there's a facilitation guide and there's a uh, a guide on worship wars, 
for people fight. And you know what? I found out and with uh, the the depth of work I'm doing in corporate America that people get in wars in other other places too. It just doesn't happen in the church. <laughs> people, uh, you know, different personalities and different behaviors cause conflict in the in the workplace. So I think it's important to talk about it and learn from it. Definitely does. So if somebody is listening and and looking through the information that that we're going to put out this month about you and say that they think that they may have a friend who could use the information, what what sort of person would they think about that that would benefit? If if say say I'm thinking I've got friends that are they're in different positions within a company or um or or maybe even somebody getting out of college who's who's just getting into the workforce and I mean they've got the book knowledge but they don't have the like personal experience yet or work experience. What sort of person would be a good person to receive your book as a gift? Um anybody wants to to do a better job as a leader. Um anybody that that thinks they do do a, do a good job but they want to do a better job. Um right. and somebody that's that's just starting as a leader. So there's there's two different places. I I try to to find a new tool from my leadership toolkit um on a constant basis. And sometimes the tool is an enhancement of something I already do or a little different twist on it. So I find um, that that I need to keep myself fresh. So anybody that, that likes to read, likes to learn, wants to be a more effective leader, um, they would certainly benefit from, from any pieces of my articles or books. There's okay. a, on com is a products tab, and it takes you to the page where you have all the, all the stuff. You could write the chapter getting things done. I know. Well, I like writing that chapter first because then you're like, oh, I'm talking about getting it done. Okay, that means I need to do it, don't I? So I like yeah. that. I like that. that Next time I talk to somebody that, that can't finish a book, I'm going to say, okay, now this is where you need to start the book. So. Yep. so I didn't write it chronologically, and people don't need to read it from front to back. You can just pick it up and look at the contents. I, the workbook, I, I divide it into four four sections. I divide leadership into four categories. Foundations, which is your visions and your goal and those important things we talked about. Your relationships, who do you need to be successful? What relationships do you need to build and maintain? And how do you use those people in, in strategies and use their influence? And how do you work with them and help them in building the bigger bigger envelope for leadership? And then systems. You've got people and you've got visions. How do you make them work? So developing uh, systems that actually work. And then balance. How do you balance it all? So foundation, relationships, systems, and balance. I, I'm pretty simple, so I like to put things in just the four categories. And I think most things fit under one of those categories. So the workbook takes you through that. And, and the people in the in the Transforming Power book um, were able to balance their lives so they could get things done. I don't have anybody in there that was obsessive, compulsive, and they worked all the time. True. Some people work. I mean, they all work very hard. And they all are very committed to their mission, but uh, I don't have any people like Thomas Edison that didn't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's waiting to turn the light on. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we've all seen people or organizations that we feel need to improve their their leadership skills, and especially we've gone to meetings with people who are like, man, I wish they'd read a book about this. So how how... Can people, if, if people don't think they need to learn anymore, say they think their business is going fine, and a lot of people do, what sort of things could they ask themselves or consider that might help them understand that, that it, it wouldn't hurt them to get another perspective? 
I'm when I was it. interviewing for this book, I, I interviewed one person that, that was doing another book and couldn't do it, um, Cal Turner, who uh, was the CEO and, and president of Dollar General. And Cal, um, his, his dad founded it. So when Cal took over as president and CEO, he went to his key leaders and said, I got this job because of my genes, not because of my abilities. I have a vision, I have skills, but I have gaps, and I need you to fill in the gaps. And he taught me that, it, that, that leadership was about uh, those gaps. And, and it's not saying you have weaknesses. It just says you don't need to be doing everything. Right. So, so people that, that, that are trying to do it all and they have no time or no life um, want to learn some, some tools that they can work smarter and not harder and identify those gaps and learn how to empower the people around them. So if you can't get everything done, if you have uh, people that you wish, employees or colleagues or team members or boards or committees or whatever that aren't performing, you want to figure out how to do it, take it up a notch, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think you'll find the, the tips that, that, that I have in all my books, especially Transforming Power. You know, you, you, I think we get stalled because we think, oh, it can't be done. Well, you read somebody else did it. Yeah, well, they can do it. I can do it. <laughs> right, and they're willing to share how they did it, so... Yeah, yeah. So, so sign if you read if you read a story in Transforming Power and you say, "Well, I can do that," then then it's the reason for having the book. That's right. Well, and, and like I said, it, I, I think any kind of thing like that, it, you never stop learning new things, new ways to do it. And hearing somebody else say, "This is what I did, and this ha- is how it worked," that's so much. I mean, it's so much better than trying to muddle through it by ourselves. I've, I've done it both ways, <laughs> you know? and muddling through your own self just kind of you know. It takes you a lot longer to get there, but anybody who wants to, do it, to get things done and do a better job would be a candidate for any of these books. True. And 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 I like reading the how-to books, but it but a reason I started I put this book on the market is because people need to need to read about it and feel the emotional piece of it and be sure. inspired by that piece. So that they think it fits together with my whole methodology is to have stories of people have actually done this, real people. True. I think it's going to be a nice addition to the books that you've got now, you know, to, to be able to show the, the vast array of different experiences from people. It'll be, it'll be a nice, nice addition to your group of books that you've got. Thank you. So I noticed a phrase on your website that says you are the right motivational speaker. I like that. Tell us why you're the right choice. That's just hype. <laughs> oh, come on. I've no, no. I, <laughs> I, okay, okay. I, I attend a lot of events, and there's people up there that either waste time with something's not relevant and it's fluffy, or they're too blame academic. And yeah. I go and say, this is just too hard. Yeah. Um, I, like I said with the books, I, when I, I talk in front of groups, um, I've been given the ability to energize and inspire people, and, and I think that makes me the right person for any kind of group. It doesn't matter if it's a nurse's convention or, or a Shackley convention. Um, or a banker's convention. They have to work with people, and I think they all have the same challenges, getting results from people they lead. Um, And so my niche is to bring the conductor hat on and say, you can lead this orchestra, and you can lead them in harmony, and you can lead them to the final cadence, and they'll all get there at the same time. Um, But it does require reframing some of your leadership skills, some of your methodology, some of your strategies. So... um, I present it in a, in a different framework than people have heard before. So I think that I've been told by, by numerous groups that uh, that um, it has 
come in at a different pers- different paradigm than they have heard before, and it, they could hear something in it that was valuable to them. So that's the that's the reason I put I'm the right one because I think I come in with a different and fresh perspective. True. Well, any any time you come into a situation, because I've I've done a lot of work with businesses where you come in and and they need help, but but when you're working it and living it every day, it's very hard to see the problems. It really because you you just get used to it, you know. And, and like like when we get to the point with the final galleys of our book, I don't know about you, but when I'm at the final edit, I don't see a word on the paper. <laughs> I just I just don't see it anymore. And I think it's the same way when you're in a situation in, in business or, or anything like that. You're too close to it and you just don't see what needs to be done. And having somebody come in with the appropriate experience and with a fresh vision of what's going on can make a huge difference in what you're doing. Well, getting out of the trench and getting in a different... I, I, I thought of this when I was trapped in an airport <laughs> overnight. <laughs> I thought, well, Thank I'm out of my element. I'm, I'm having to reframe my life and think about my, the sins of my, my youth. But I, you, can, you can get out of the trench and think about it. So that is very true. It's very true. Very true. Fortunate to have some endorsements from some major people like uh, the Chicken Soup authors and John Gray and Bob Proctor, some some leaders that are out there doing some really good work, and they they thought worthy of the book to say some good things about it. And Hugh, we're just about out of time. Um, do you have about a minute's worth of information that you want to tell us about anything that's in the works, or any any last minute information you'd like to share with us? I'm working on that basic basic guide that the leaders transform. So. As people get any of my stuff and they have something that works that, that they want to celebrate, I'd love them to Hugh, email me, hugh at com, which they can find on any of my websites. Email me and let me know either a question they want answered because the books I write are from real-life experience. So if there's some input people would like to have, the, the, the other book and workbook are being formed and shaped right now, and they're formed from real life. So if people want to say, here's a real-life challenge, I'd love for somebody to try to stump me. So, come, <laughs> oh, give me we've some had a hard challenge. Ones. We've had a give, challenge. Okay, give me some hard ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me just remind people now that we've got a challenge from from Hugh. And if you have any questions, you can post them here on the show link. Also, if if you've misplaced the other information, um, but definitely show up at, at any of the stops and post questions, and Hugh would be happy to help you. And thank you very much for being with us, Hugh. Well, thanks for asking me. You have a great day. You too.